Welcome to the One God Report podcast. I'm really happy to have with us here today the Kidwell family from Pennsylvania, John and Heather, and their three children. Camden is 17, and Kate is 15, and Kara is 12. They come from a traditional conservative Christian background, and they've come to understand that God is one, the God of the scriptures is one, and that Jesus is God's human Messiah who died and was raised from the dead. I think it would be good if we can hear from them how they came to change their understanding of who God and Jesus are. John, you're a banker. How was it that you came to have a change in your understanding of who God and Jesus are? Yeah, thanks, Bill. Well, it was uh it didn't happen overnight. It was a a journey. We're a homeschool family. We're a family of, of five, and my wife is has dedicated her time to teaching the children and, and really the journey started with her homeschooling the kids and uh, well you know what? I'll let her share you know how how it started. As a homeschooling mom, I've homeschooled the children from the beginning, so all the way through. And my sense of my responsibility, I think, um, in educating them accurately and correctly has only grown over the years. And uh, about four, four or so years ago, after we had been digging deeper into history, digging deeper into scripture digging deeper into, oh, there is such a thing as a Hebrew mindset versus a Greek mindset, and which one am I filtering my thoughts through scripturally? A question arose in my mind, and that was, why are the Greeks held in such high esteem in not only the Christian community, but more specifically the Christian homeschool community? Why are we reading Plato? Why are we reading Aristotle? Why do we keep referring to these men as great thinkers if indeed they are what I've studied them to be and they are pagans and they are immoral and they didn't love humanity? And that was the beginning of our journey. Um, it, it It was merely observing and saying something doesn't make sense here and it triggered numerous questions for me. So I started to dig. Um, Having been a researcher in the past trying to resolve health issues, I kind of knew how to to find answers to questions on the internet and papers and journals and scripture and reading and reading and reading and reading some more. So the more I read, the more I was, it was confirmed to me that the uh, Greek philosophers had nothing to add to scriptural truth. They, they weren't better thinkers than the, the prophets or the gospel writers. The danger in pursuing Greek philosophy and holding it in high esteem was that possibly we may mistake it. It may be mistaken for truth. And that was one of my fears for my children, I don't mind that they're aware of what Greek philosophers think or thought, but I didn't want them to ever blur the lines of truth. 
and thinking that that was a substitute for God's truth. So that was the beginning of the journey. Can you give me an example of something that you saw in Greek thinking that was <laughs> contradictory to the scriptures? Mm-hmm. Even early on? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, think, I think the idea that we didn't understand yet that the body and soul were united. We were still of a belief that they were two separate entities, but we didn't agree with the Greek idea that the body was bad. Like, that was a first, like, I don't think the scripture ever says the body is bad. God created it good. It must be good. So so that was one of our first thoughts. Um, as we progressed, we read a book called Pagan Christianity, which pointed out the historical fact that the Christian church adopted many pagan practices, and that was a concern for us. Um, and that was the first time that we ever connected the church with Greek philosophy. And this was all three and a half, four years ago. And then that progressed to we stumbled across the idea that the immortal soul, which was definitely a Greek idea, was not a biblical idea. The Greek idea is that everybody is born with the gift of immortality, and upon death, their uh, spirit will not die, and the spirit ascends to a disembodied state. And that is not, we realize that is not a biblical idea, but rather the biblical idea is the idea of conditional immortality, that immortality is a gift that God gives us through his Son, Messiah, Jesus, and we will be raised immortal at the resurrection. Um, So that was our first doctrine that fell that we had been accustomed to. And along with that is the sleep of the dead doctrine that when you die, you are dead until the resurrection. There is no disembodied spirit that goes to be with God um, upon a person's death. Mm -hmm. You know, Heather, I think that even traditional Christians will and can understand that, that our real hope is not a mm-hmm. disembodied state mm-hmm. somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's very clear in the scriptures yes. that the Christian hope is the resurrection from the dead. Yes. The, the New Testament is about Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, who died mm-hmm. and was raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. And there are many places in the scripture that describe clearly mm-hmm. that our hope is at the proper time through Jesus the Messiah, God will raise us from the dead. Mm-hmm. And people can understand it, and it has lots of implications, because now all of a sudden I understand that hmm, the Greek idea, and this may be something you guys could expand on a little bit too, that the physical world is evil. That's not a biblical view. The mm-hmm. biblical view is that creation is good. Mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. made it, and he saw it was good. It was very good, even right. so. So if I understand that my hope is a resurrection, from the dead onto a real earth, that's a very different idea than I remember I was mm-hmm. taught mm-hmm. in traditional Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, we, we definitely went down that road um, and were encouraged because we do have a piece of property that we steward and we raise animals on and we farm a little bit. And we know that the earth is good and we know the value of stewardship 
And so when we realized these things that our hope is in the resurrection, that the kingdom of God will be on this earth, there's a, the easiest way to say it is that it grounded our faith. It established our faith in the reality of life and not in some hope of living somewhere else in another form and something that's totally unrelatable. Our faith became more relatable to us, I believe, on this journey. Yeah, I think, I think for me, that was, one, I came to the re realization that I'd been raised in the church with the idea that it's all about going to heaven. And the idea or concept of heaven, I knew it was going to be awesome, but I, I just had a hard time uh, relating to this idea that we were going to kind of live somewhere else in this other world. And, and, and obviously, it was going to be awesome because it was going to be with God, right? Um, but in reading back through the scriptures and, and, and understanding that God... He created earth. He put us here. He created man. It was very good. He gave us a job to do. And for me, this was just very exciting to see at the end of the story that here we have Christ returning and preparing the bride so that one day we, the believers, the saints, can be here on earth. That was just, I don't know, that was something that I was... It was kind of a, a moment where I was like, wow, that's a, a, a great story and it, and it fits. And it was also something that it kind of woke me up to say, okay, I've been in church my whole entire life. I've been reading the Bible and I've listened to so many different sermons. And how did I, how did I miss this? <laughs> you know, how did I miss this? So that really drove me back to reading God's word more carefully and uh, the whole family. Yeah. yeah, I'll just add to that, that this idea that we could have read something for so long and not clearly understood it because our filter was, again, so Greek. I, I think it was definitely a wake-up call for both John and I saying, oh, in regards to especially raising our children, are we are we showing them the truth or are we misguiding them because we've been misguided. That was a point of reckoning for us. So in connection with the idea of our souls not being immortal, mm -hmm. but that we're waiting for the resurrection mm -hmm. to immortality, another Greek idea that maybe you guys can talk some about, did you come to have a changed view on eternal punishment? Oh, yes, right. Right, so if, if the body is, is not immortal of its own, but requires the gift of immortality uh, in order to live forever, then that affected the doctrine of eternal, everlasting, forever torment, punishment in hell. And we stumbled across that pretty early on in our, in our discoveries. And like my daughter will say, Kate, she said we were so relieved that the character of God was not this God whose idea of justice was eternal torment for individuals who did not choose him, but that his character was in line with who we thought he was all along, that he is a loving God, and he is just, but 
his justice is it's not an extreme version of it it's not i will pay you back forever and isn't the scriptural idea that the wages of sin is death yes the finality of that yeah so so we went back through scripture again when we were dealing with that doctrine and and realized how many times the scripture is abundantly clear that death is the result of not choosing God and his gift of eternal life. Let me ask you then, when did you come to, to reassess the ideas of traditional Christianity that God is tri-personal mm-hmm. or that Jesus is God mm-hmm. with a human nature? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so our pursuit, this per- ongoing pursuit of the origin of ideas, of where, where do ideas come from, because that speaks a great deal of what, who, who came up with the idea. Um, we had also studied the fact that there is truth, and there are, aside from truth, there are only deviations of truth or distortions, deceptions. And, and so trying to, when you, when you follow an idea back to its origin, it's the, um, the truth or the deception becomes more clear. And so as we were trying to filter out Greek ideas and origins, um, I kept coming back to this idea of the logos, um, which many Christian theologians will say in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, that 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 word, word, is the Greek idea logos. And and that was then um, considered to be the eternal preexistent Jesus who was in fact God. And that's how it was explained. And many theologians would then say that, thank goodness we had the Greeks because they introduced us to this notion and we use their word because that's exactly what God had prepared for the transmission of his truth, was the Greek idea. When I came across that, I, I, I didn't sit right with me, and I thought, no, we've, gone, we've come this far, and I have not seen once where the Greek idea was helpful. I've only seen it as a perversion of truth. It can't be that God is asking us to consider the Greek pagans and and how much they can help us in our understanding of his word. So I started to to dig and try to figure out what was the truth about that passage and who, what was the word actually, and did we need the Greeks to help us explain it. Was that easy? Well, no. The first thing we stumbled across, or I stumbled across, um, was a book by Keegan Chandler called The the God of Jesus, and I read as much of that book online through Amazon as I could, and I shared the idea with my husband, John, and I said, this guy's proposing that Jesus isn't God. I understand his, his historical perspective, but I'm not sure I can make that, that jump. Yeah, I, w- I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't buying it, and uh, immediately... Again, raised in the church, all these scriptures popped into mind. I'm like, that can't be right. That can't be right. Yeah. And well, we put we put that one on the back burner oh, for right. months. Mm-hmm. That yeah. was that was too fiery, too dangerous to to deal with. And so we continued to study other things and 
dig deeper into the word and addressing the kingdom and conditional immortality and yeah what do you mean when you say the kingdom the kingdom yeah that that we will not live in heaven um, that we will be on the earth in god's kingdom that was a new concept for us as well we like john alluded to we had been raised with the idea that upon death we will go to heaven and we will live there and we didn't even though you as a Christian, you don't really know what that looks like or what that would be like. Um, you accept it. We kind of forgot about the resurrection from the dead. And we forgot about the resurrection from the dead. Yeah, exactly. So we, we kept digging into these other things, and the children will tell you the scriptures became more and more alive to them. And so we were, we were definitely, switches were being flipped, and, and light bulbs were coming on, and Things just became more and more rich in our faith and our understanding of Scripture to the point where months after reading the introduction to Keegan's book, I had some spare time, and I went back and I started to dig a little deeper. And I, again, was in conversation with John about it, and we both realized that if we continued to dig and we found that it was true that Jesus was not God, um, the repercussions would be pretty consequential in our life um, in terms of relationship and Christian fellowship. So we tread softly as we, as we continued to study, but we, we did continue to study. I think our previous findings convinced us that we may not be right about this theology as well. Yeah, I think at this point, we decided that as a family, we were attending a local church, and we and we didn't and we didn't want to make waves or cause problems, and we felt like we just needed some time as a family to study the scriptures and not cause waves in, in, in our local community, and uh, before we had a, a chance to really dig in because we knew that. This particular issue, as far as the Trinity and is Jesus God, was a very sensitive issue. And it was an issue that we didn't take lightly, you know. So I, I think before we, we didn't want to jump to any conclusions, we really wanted to, to dig in. So we started, again, reading and studying. Let me ask you, was the Trinity ever an issue, or did that sort of go hand in hand with the deity of Jesus? Was the Trinity easier for you to see? Well, that's not in the Bible. Did you yeah. separate those two issues? or? Yeah, the Trinity wasn't a big deal for us. I don't think we had been exposed to the idea that maybe the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, wasn't um, quite accurate or true. We had been exposed to that idea years previous, but again, had never pursued it, much like many people, like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe it's not true, but we had never questioned the deity of Jesus at this point. Yeah, and you know, I forgot to say, I mentioned that you both come from a conservative background. Heather, your parents were missionaries. You grew up in the mission field mm -hmm. for a good number of years. So it was never that you were doubting the scriptures. Right, right. Rather, it was you were coming to see mm -hmm. through the scriptures mm -hmm. a different depiction of who God mm -hmm. and his Christ were right. than you had been taught before. Right, right. Scripture, the Bible, in my opinion, has always been the highest um, authority 
And I've never been, I've never held particular allegiance to any particular denomination. It was just, it was the Bible. It was God and, and his word. I held to that quite, quite strongly. So what was it that pushed you over, in a sense, on the deity of Jesus? Studies or what scriptures? Yeah, yeah. so when we were exposed first to Keegan's idea that maybe Greek thought had infiltrated church doctrine, well, then we had to go to scripture and go, well, does this resonate with what I read in scripture? And, and is, can his case be made according to the Bible? And it took some time for us to start to see clearly without Greek eyes what scripture was actually saying. And I have to confess, my biblical scholarship wasn't as strong maybe as my historical scholarship. Um, and I was able to listen to other people explain, well, this would be the Greek understanding of that scripture that I had, but this would be a more biblical understanding of that passage in terms of it's consistent throughout all of scripture. And I think that was the first time that I was exposed to teaching that emphasized over and over and over again, if it is true in this one passage, it must be able to be proven in all of scripture. So that, to that idea of totality and it all has to mesh, and there should be no contradictions. Yeah, I think in going back and thinking about it, I had some big picture questions, and I think Heather did too. If you think about Jesus, we always thought of him as, as God, but that didn't quite fit with, with so many things in scriptures. Uh, and I'll point out a couple examples that just things popped into my mind. In other words, the temptation of Jesus. And if Satan was offering these things to God, um, I'm like, well, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. I mean, if Jesus is God, then these are not temptations. He's God. So that didn't make sense. And, and the other thing for me is like Jesus praying in the garden and asking God to take this cup from me and asking for another way and and again, I never really understood, and I always had questions about that passage, and I'm like, if this is God's plan, and he's taken the form of man, and he, you know, Jesus is God, why is he asking God to do this another way? I mean, he should be, God should be excited about that he's, he's about ready to provide a way to reunite um, with man um, through dying, so yeah, so it just it just didn't make sense that passage for me. But going back and reading and seeing the scriptures say that Jesus, the man, when you read it that way and, and it's just read it plainly, and you understand that okay, if Jesus is a man. This makes a lot more sense. Now, granted, he is a man that was anointed by God, that was born of a virgin. He was the anointed, the appointed one. And so this was part of God's plans. All right, so we also have John and Heather's three children here. Camden is 
17. Camden, let me ask you, you're a thinker. I've got to know you a little bit now. You are old enough to think, hold on a second, what's going on with my parents here? What was your reaction when they came to this new understanding of who God and Jesus are? Yeah, so I've spent enough time with mom and dad to trust them and know that they're not crazy and they're not going to make just some sort of offhanded decision about such a big issue as this. They'll do their research and they'll come to a very fair and reasonable conclusion. And my reaction really to the Trinity wasn't, well, learning that the Trinity wasn't biblical, wasn't really that dramatic in the fact that in the past, the Trinity hadn't really been a part of my life. It never really, I never really thought about it. Sermons aren't preached normally on it. You know, it's not mentioned in the Bible, so, you know, you're not going to talk about it there. And the fact that with this new understanding that Jesus is just the Messiah and God is just one, the Bible becomes a lot clearer. You know, things are a lot more logical. It's more coherent. There's not so much an air of unknowable mystery to it. And I think probably the biggest change for me from moving from a more Trinitarian background to a one God, Unitarian background was that I definitely became a lot more interested in the Bible. Theology was more or less the subject of every other conversation at the dinner table. And I don't know, it just became that much more fascinating because there isn't this, oh, we can't understand it at all. Like, you'll, you're just a finite human being. You'll never really grasp this mysterious... Trinitarian doctrine. So in that way, there is then something to learn in that. And I really enjoy learning. And so the fact that, hey, you, a person who has, you know, your God-given ability of common sense and rational thinking can't actually learn when studying the Bible. It's no longer this nebulous thing yeah, where you need someone to interpret this very complicated text that as a normal human, unless you've maybe gone to seminary or whatever, you won't really get it. So in that way, that was the biggest change for me, I think, overall. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. And Kate, Kate is 15. How about you? You also are a good thinker, I can see. <laughs> what was your reaction when your parents started to say, you know, we don't think Jesus, according to the Bible, is God, and that God is in a trinity. Yeah, I mean, I was slightly shocked. But then again, after uncovering some of the other doctrines, seeing that those were true, it wasn't like as big as it would have been if that was the first thing that we had uncovered. But yeah, I was definitely kind of shocked and concerned that we were straying from the truth there. It did cross my mom my mind that mom had gone overboard (laughs) Um, and taking this a little too far. But then again, the argument made sense. And so considered it and prayed about it. Yeah, I was was very much so concerned that this would affect our salvation because of our change of understanding God. And I knew it was a huge deal that Unitarianism was incorrect and that the Trinity was true, then 
I was thinking more of the consequences of that. But then again, the flip side of it, I was also realized that if we had been worshiping Jesus as God, that that was also a big, big deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, very good. And Kara, you're 12. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about your guys' house, and do you have any animals? Yeah, so we live on 10 acres in Pennsylvania, and we have um, a good amount of animals, not a big farm, but I have three sheep. Kate has a goat. Cam used to raise hogs for meat, and we had meat chickens, and we have layers of chickens, layer eggs, and we've got ducks and a lot of cats. And a dog. <laughs> Do you remember when your parents first told you, well, we don't think the Bible is saying that God is a trinity, three persons in one. Do you remember? Yeah, so a story kind of goes with it. I slept in one morning, and I came down, and everyone else was up, and I was eating breakfast, and they were having a conversation, and I was just like kind of still waking up, and I wasn't really listening. And then I heard Kate like, well, you know, the trinity's not true anymore. Like, oh, what do you mean? And mom's like, you know, the Trinity. Yeah, you know, like trying to remember what that really was. Like, mm-hmm, yeah. And mom's like, well, it's not true. I'm like, oh, okay. And just then from there, we kept, I kept learning more and understanding it better. And then, yeah, I just started learning a lot more. I think I started learning a lot more in these past, I don't know, two years than I've ever had in my life, and I just, everything started to become clearer, and it was really exciting. Thank you. Well, can I ask all of you guys, so what's been the general response of friends and family to your newer understanding? Yeah, well, let me just back up and say real quick that as we were on this journey for three plus years, um, we were surprised over and over again at how little response, little positive response there was to any of our new understandings. So we knew or were pretty convinced that the, the response would be the same with this, and yet this would be more devastating to more people because it's such a strongly held doctrine and the basis of many church um, doctrinal statements. We were very careful with sharing at first. Yeah, I think I was feeling the weight of the decision, and I did have one friend who I was able to share the idea with that perhaps Jesus as we've been taught, was not God. And I did have one person that had considered this before. And uh, he, he was willing to not only listen and, and uh, agree, but it, he was willing to let me kind of ask questions to him. So that, that, was, that was good. But he was not local. They were a family that were missionaries. And uh, so everything had to be done on FaceTime or, you know, through, through a call. So that was encouraging. But overall, so th this decision was not taken lightly, and I was very nervous about sharing this uh, with others in the church that 
we had attended. Let me ask you guys, if you could say in one minute what you would like to say to Trinitarians. I came from a Trinitarian deity of Christ background. What in one minute would be a piece of advice you'd like to say to, to a, your past person or my past person? What would you say? Yeah, I would say it's okay to take time to consider and other ideas that pass by don't need to threaten your faith, but they can cause you to dig deeper and make sure that what you believe is true. And I think that's kind of what we did. We had been proven wrong so many times that we didn't have any, we had been broken so many times that it was okay to consider something, one more thing that maybe we had been wrong on. And I, I would encourage people to say if something is presented to you by people that you respect, just just take the time to honestly consider it because there's no risk in that. Your faith is not threatened. Scripture is not being pushed aside. Hold on to Scripture firmly, but really consider ideas when they're presented to you. Yeah, God is big enough to, to handle uh, any and every question. And as creator of the world and language and man, he gave us his word and that it's worth spending the time to stop and dig and question. His work can handle any, any type of scrutiny, right? It will hold up and be true. I would challenge anybody to just dig in and uh, to consider. I think really, if I interpret what you're saying, is your final authority is the scriptures, not church history, or not a creed from past times or even a pastor or church doctrinal statement. Mm -hmm. But you're saying this, that you understand from the scriptures mm -hmm. that God is one mm -hmm. and that Jesus is a man. I think, Kate, you said it. It's very clear. And the scriptures are our authority. So I do, I do want to share that as we were on this journey and we studied the Bible together as a whole entire family, and we had reached the point where we had a new understanding and we were excited and, and studying together, and, but also feeling quite lonely as a family in the sense that, well, one, we didn't discover we had some new revelation or understanding, but this is what God's Word has said all along. But looking for others, like if this is true, then others out there must have come to the same conclusion, right? You know, it's just, if this is the way God designed it, then others must be doing the same things that we're doing. Uh, and I think at that time, maybe kind of at a low point and, and, and kind of praying and, and seeking to confirm what we believed, you know, in part was looking out and, and we found your testimony and... And hearing yours and Stephanie's testimony was so encouraging to us. It just it spoke volumes that there were other people out there who had come to these decisions and had accepted the consequence culturally, socially, of what that entailed. That it, it gave us courage 
to continue and to do the same despite the questioning and to despite the the um, resistance we were experiencing. Amen and praise God. So hey, thanks to everybody. And I'll just say, wow, this family, you guys, it's amazing. And I'm sure there are many Christian families that would be, I'll use the word, jealous of the relationships that you have that a 12-year-old, I've listened to Kara the last couple of days, she has theological insights that, oh my goodness, it's amazing the way they speak with each other, the way they search with each other, the way they respect each other. I think coming to this understanding, too, has, has enhanced your guys, let's say, corporate study or family study of the scriptures. Yeah. yeah, I think as I look at my role as a father, I think, what's the one thing I want to, the one thing I think about that I want to leave behind, a, a, a legacy, if you will, is that my children know the one true God and follow him with all of their heart. Amen. And we'll close with that. Thanks a lot. Praise God. This is Bill Schlegel for the One God Report podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate it and write a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That will help others to find us and share the podcast on social media. For constructive discussion, you are welcome to join the One God Report Facebook group. Yishma'u anavim ve'yishma'u. The humble will hear and rejoice.